Hello and welcome to episode 262 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. For today's story, we head to Manchester for a story which captivated me at the time, and it still does today. But first, as always, I'd like to thank all my supporters at Patreon, and especially the new members of this exclusive club. That is Amara, Mary Richardson and Ryan Wilson. Thank you all so much for your support, which is much appreciated. With Christmas approaching, us true crime fans may have to turn off the true crime documentaries and podcasts briefly to try to be a little bit sociable, especially if people are staying with you. How would you like some free wine to give to guests or to drink yourself? Great news. I'd like to introduce you to Wine 52, a monthly wine discovery club. The wines are fantastic. Trust me, I got through my first order very quickly. And Wine 52 know this so they're able to give you your first case completely free. All you need to do is go to www.wine52.com slash truecrime and cover the postage costs of £5.95 and you'll get three bottles delivered right to your door. Wine 52 is a wine club with a difference. Instead of stocking thousands of wines from hundreds of producers, Wine 52 only selects the very best of the best. Their expert wine tasters search out the most exciting wine regions and top undiscovered winemakers in the world and bring them to your door. So basically, they do the hard work to bring you amazing wine. What is there not to like? Each month they send their members three wines, which you can customise to your taste by choosing from a case of white, red or a mixture. Also included is their magazine Glug, which brings you the story of the producers and insights about wine and travel from each region. After your free case, you'll be part of the monthly wine club. There's no minimum commitment, so you can try it and just see what you think. If it's not for you, just pause or cancel at any time. So don't forget to head over to www.wine52.com slash truecrime to claim your case today. Okay, so let's set some context to today's story with our guest of the month in Yeargate. Top of the UK music charts was Cheryl with Call My Name. Lots of calling going down this month, as in the US, the number one in the singles chart was Carly Rae Jepsen with Call Me Maybe. In Australia, the line was down, as top of the charts was friend of the show, the Bibemeister General with Believe. In the news this month in Toronto, the collapse of a stage at a Radiohead concert killed one person. A man was beheaded for witchcraft and sorcery in Saudi Arabia. I'll just give you a clue here after that piece of news. This wasn't the 15th century, as like me you may have assumed it was. 76 monks were hospitalised in Thailand following an attack by a swarm of bees. And in the UK we celebrated the Diamond Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth with a four-day bank holiday weekend. And in UK true crime news, Barclays Bank was fined £290 million after trying to manipulate interbank interest rates. Did you guess the month and year? It was June 2012. Today's story comes from Manchester in the northwest of England. Probably best known to most of you for the venue of great entertainment enjoyed by so many people. Yep, I refer of course to the crime talk given by me and Geoffrey Wansell in 2019. But other events taking place in the city have also proved popular. 
One was the reunion tour of local band The Stone Roses, which took place in 2012. Formed in 1983, The Stone Roses are one of the most popular and progressive bands at the forefront of the Manchester scene in the late 80s and early 90s, before the band finally split in 1996. I guarantee that even today, you will know at least one person who names the Stone Roses as their favourite band ever. Their following is still so strong, and their music has certainly stood the test of time. So when in 2012 they announced their reunion tour, there was tremendous interest, especially in the three concerts announced to take place at Heaton Park in Manchester. In fact, the concerts proved to be the fastest selling ones in history. 150,000 tickets for the first two dates in Manchester went on sale at 9.30am and had all gone 14 minutes later. And after a third date was announced at 10am, the tickets had all been snapped up just 38 minutes later. The venue for the gigs was Heaton Park, a 600-acre space about an hour's walk north of the centre of Manchester. People travelled from all over the world for the concerts, and many of the city's bars and clubs put on amazing after-show parties. And the Stone Roses didn't disappoint their fans. They put on incredible shows on all three nights, but particularly on the opening night, the Friday. But one person who had gone to the opening concert didn't make it home on the Saturday. 22-year-old Christopher Brani lived with his parents in Timberley, which is a village around six miles to the southwest of Manchester. When he didn't come home on the Saturday, his family were concerned but hoped he might have gone to stay with friends from Leeds University. But when he wasn't back on the Sunday and wasn't answering his phone, they feared that something was badly wrong. Christopher had tickets for all three nights, as one of his mates was the nephew of Stone Rose's lead singer, Ian Brown. When he didn't make it home on Saturday, his friends, who were all at their gig together, just assumed that he'd met someone and gone home with them but when he didn't turn up for the second concert on the Saturday, they too were concerned. Christopher's parents went to the police, who appealed for information. They confirmed that Christopher was last seen by friends after the Heaton Park concert at about 11.30pm. Detectives said he left the venue of his friends but returned to the park when he realised he'd lost his mobile phone there. They believed he may have used the park and ride facility at Bowley Park heading back to the city centre. Chris, who was white and slim with short brown hair, was last seen wearing a dark blue top, light blue shirt, maroon trousers and green wellies. The search for Christopher quickly gained traction. The Stone Roses made an appeal via their website to anyone who was at the concert and a Facebook group helped find Christopher Brani, gain lots of followers, including me eventually topping 100,000 people, as everyone tried to share information to help find Christopher. I think it captured the imagination of so many people, as it was a situation that so many of us listening to this podcast today have experienced. A busy venue for an event, getting separated from your friends, and making your way home amid all the crowds and confusion can be tricky, but we all eventually made it home, right? So just what had happened to Christopher? Detective Chief Inspector Melanie Linton, who was leading the search, said, Christopher's family are clearly very worried about him and are desperate for any information 
relating to his whereabouts. There were dozens of coaches in the car park with destinations all over the country. Chris could easily have gotten one of these coaches. Did you see him or speak to him? I would urge anyone with any information to contact the police. This could be vital to our investigation and provide some much needed answers for his family. Christopher, if you see or hear this appeal, we would ask that you make contact with us or your family as soon as possible. Detectives looked more closely at Christopher's life to see if there were any clues there possibly explaining his disappearance. He seemed to have grown up in a very happy and stable home before heading to university in Leeds. He seemed to be popular with a large circle of friends and he worked in a bar called The Green Room where he specialised in creating incredible cocktails. His social media pages, especially his Instagram, showed a number of these cocktails he created and just days before the Stone Roses gigs, he launched a special Stone Roses cocktail. His main interest seemed to be music, with Christopher being a huge Beatles fan, playing the guitar, and he was a regular at music festivals. Days later there was an update. Christopher's phone turned up in Edinburgh. Had he gone there either through his own choice or against his will? Or had his phone just been picked up by a fellow concertgoer who just happened to live in Scotland? There was also another concrete sighting of Christopher. It was confirmed that he was at the Park and Ride site in Bowley on the Friday night. He was seen getting off a bus at the site and speaking to a group of young women, telling them he'd lost his phone and his friends. This information allowed detectives to scour hours of CCTV and they managed to find Christopher. They released this to the public which showed Christopher walking between Shude Hill and Deansgate in the city centre, carrying a Primark carrier bag in the early hours of Saturday morning. Officers believed that Christopher had headed to the city centre after the gig and recovered the bag which contained a new pair of shoes he bought earlier that day. His friends confirmed that this was the case. They wore willies to the concert and so had hidden shoes so they could get in bars and clubs in the evening. Christopher had hidden his bag in Rosenfield's car park near Shudhill Metrolink stop, which is in the city centre close to the Arndale Centre, before travelling north to Manchester to attend the concert. So he had come back to the city centre afterwards, presumably to go out to one of the after parties. But what had happened to him from there? When you looked at the CCTV, it didn't show him unsteady on his feet through drink or drugs, and there was no indication that he was being followed. But what happened next was a mystery. Then nine days after Christopher disappeared, a body was recovered from a canal near Media City in Salford. Tragically, it was confirmed that Christopher had been found. His dad Stuart thanked all the volunteers who had helped search for his son, saying, I just want to thank everyone who has helped to search for Chris. The response was overwhelming. Unfortunately, the outcome wasn't the news we'd been hoping for, but I'd like to express my thanks to everyone for their support. And as detectives tried to discover what had happened to Christopher, further CCTV was released that seemingly showed how Christopher had ended up in the water. Once he left the Shude Hill area of the city and walked past Manchester Cathedral, on his way to the beginning of Deansgate, he headed close to Parsonage Gardens, 
The final footage showed him walking along the alleyway heading towards the bank of the River Irwell. From here the river flows out of the city centre and becomes the Manchester Ship Canal in Salford Quays, where Chris's body was found. So it seemed that Chris would have entered the water here, but why? Did he purposely go into the water? Was it an accident? Or did somebody push him? Detectives were keeping an open mind at this stage. At the end of the alleyway where Christopher was last seen, there's a balcony overlooking the river. Detectives revealed that they did have further CCTV of Christopher, pacing up and down this balcony and just sitting there, but they chose not to release it as it was too grainy. They continued to appeal for witnesses who may have seen Christopher there and for any further information. The inquest into Christopher's death took place. The deputy coroner admitted to his parents that she couldn't give them the answer they wanted as to how he had ended up in the water. She said, I'm sorry, I can't answer the one question you want me to answer. She confirmed that Chris had traces of ecstasy and alcohol in his body and his death was caused by drowning. She recorded an open verdict because she did not have the answers about how he died. There have been lots of speculation about the injuries suffered by Christopher, which suggested to some that he'd been murdered. The pathologist noted cuts to his face and a fractured cheekbone, but said because there was no bruising with the injuries, it suggested they happened after Christopher had already died. She noted the alcohol and drugs in his body, but did not think they were the cause of his death, although they may have been a contributory factor. The inquest heard that Christopher had been treated for anxiety in 2010. Could this have indicated that he could have taken his own life? His dad, Stuart, said the idea that Christopher had intentionally harmed himself had not entered his consciousness even for a second. He completely ruled this out as far as he was concerned. Mark Dale, who was with Christopher throughout the duration of the concert, told how Christopher realised he had lost his phone shortly before the gig ended at around 11.30pm. The two tried to leave the park together, but became separated in the chaotic crowd. He clarified that he, Christopher and another friend had bought plimsolls, as they were wearing Wellingtons at the gig and thought they would not be allowed into bars wearing the outdoor footwear if they decided to head into Manchester afterwards. So it seemed that Christopher was planning to go out after the concert. The doctor who carried out the post-mortem talked about the last place where Christopher had been seen, the balcony near the river. She said that as the walkway is lined with a very high rail, Christopher must have climbed over it or been thrown over it into the river 40 feet below. Detective Inspector Deborah Oakes of Trafford CID ruled out the involvement of anyone else as there's only one way in and out of the alleyway and CCTV didn't capture anyone else in the area for many hours before or after Christopher. At the conclusion of the inquest, paying tribute to his son, Stuart said, Chris's death has left a massive void in our family. He had charm, wit and was a joy to be with. He was a perfect son. So just what happened to Christopher? As you can imagine, there have been all sorts of wild theories about what could have happened. But out of respect to his friends and family, we won't go into these. Let's just look at what is likely to have happened. Really, it can only be one of three things. Death by misadventure suicide or murder. 
Let's take misadventure first. Did he maybe slip into the water by accident? Maybe when he was going to the toilet? It seems feasible, especially if the drugs he had taken had an effect later on. But then, this would have been too difficult, I imagine, as the bars are too high to have fallen over. So does that rule out misadventure? Let's look at the second option, suicide. I think it's hard to not really feel for his dad when he says that suicide has never entered his mind, not even for a second. Is that a dad's instinct? Or through his grief and loss, is he unable to accept that this could well have been the case? The police said that the final CCTV footage of him shows him pacing, walking back and forwards, which seems to suggest he could have been troubled and pondering what to do next. But would he have gone to the concert the night before he took his own life, assuming it was premeditated? And if that was the case, other things don't make any sense. Why bother changing shoes? Why go back to search for your phone? But there are plenty of stories of people, maybe you know somebody, who took their own life after appearing incredibly happy. It has been suggested by some that once that decision has been made, the person can relax and be happy as they know they no longer need to worry. Or was it a suicide that wasn't premeditated? Was it the effects of the MDMA that made him suicidal? When coming down from taking this drug, it can have a very negative effect on your mood. There is one piece here I found online that describes how this can be for some. Let me read it. It's not unusual for the initial euphoria after the intake of ecstasy to be overshadowed by serious anxiety and panic attacks, also known as horror trips. This can result in depression and suicidal thoughts. Deep depressive moods resulting in suicide or attempted suicide after a single intake have been observed. All this is the consequence of damage to the serotonin cells in the brain, which plays such an important role in depressions. This rebound low after taking ecstasy is described by a teenager on one website who said, When I came down, I fell into a deep dark hole. It was a depression I couldn't stand. Anyone with a history of mental problems will be more likely to experience this difficulty. So did Christopher choose to take his life that morning? Or did he do so on the spur of the moment? Was it suicide? Or was he killed? Did someone push him into that river? You would of course have heard of the Manchester Pusher. Does it exist? I don't know. But if you want a podcast that covers this, listen to Seeing Red, which covered it in detail. But maybe if it was murder, Christopher was killed for another reason. Before we examine this, we need to go right back to the end of the concert. Why did he go back to get his phone? I think if I had lost mine, I would just have accepted it would not be found of all those people, and would just have headed back to the city centre, borrowed a friend's phone maybe, wouldn't you? I've heard it suggested there were rumours he was looking for his phone to call an ex-girlfriend who he'd only just broken up with. Or was it that he was somehow involved in drugs maybe? There is no evidence at all for this, but many have suggested that he headed to the area near the water as it could have been an area that was used as a hookup spot or a place to deal drugs. Or could he be murdered for the contents of the bag? Again, this seems very unlikely to have been the case. Firstly, 
Unlike the dogging spots where we hang out, very few people went to that same area that night. Two women were seen on the balcony at 12.32am, when Chris was still up by Heaton Park, and at 1.14am, when again Chris wasn't there. Three men went there at 12.35am, and another was there at 6.28am, which we can assume is at least three hours after Christopher had entered the water. And the balcony itself, it's not some quiet, secluded place. It's overlooked by lots of apartments, and there's a hotel opposite. So it seems very unlikely he was there for those sorts of reasons. But with all the CCTV in the area, did none of it really capture what happened to him? None of the other people who were caught on CCTV in the area were ever shown, so didn't come forward. The CCTV was never released. Why is this? Well, according to the police, it was because it was blurry. But as we watchers of endless true crime know, when isn't CCTV blurry? I've seen it suggested it was maybe held back, as evidence often is by police in similar investigations. But again, it doesn't seem likely to me, does it you? And you can't avoid the question about of all the places he could have gone to, why had Christopher gone there? walked past so many bars and other places. And why had the other people been to this balcony in the early hours of that morning? Would you go to an alleyway in the city centre twice, or at 6am? I can't really think of a reason for it, can you? None of it seems to make any sense at all. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's a confusing story. How did Christopher lose his life? Suicide? misadventure or murder. I've watched the CCTV footage many times and it still puzzles and saddens me in equal measures. Had he intended the concert to be his final fantastic evening out with friends before taking his own life? Was it an accident? Or did he meet somebody or some people who killed him? Or even was he another victim of the so-called Manchester Canal Pusher. Sadly, it seems that we're never going to know for sure. But when we look at the pictures of him, we are once again left with the sense of a young man who died at the start of his journey. A man with so much to look forward to, so much to give. And who left devastated friends and family who will always miss him, what he could have become and what they could have enjoyed together. And they must also wonder just what really happened to him. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. Please do support my sponsor by heading to www.wine52.com slash truecrime to get your free wine. And to discuss this case or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group. It's always lively, if nothing else. And to keep me, the 37th most popular UK true crime podcast host, producing weekly content, please join me at Patreon. Just pop over to patreon.com slash UK true crime. Okay, so that is all for me for another week. So until we speak again next Tuesday, please do take it easy. And despite all the others, it's always the others. Most of all, stay classy. Cheerio for now.